we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8. So if you could find Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 27, it's found on page 999, at least of the Bible I have. I think they're similar to yours. As you've been hearing, we're participating in this beautiful movement of churches in the GTA around Alpha. And um, what we wanted to do during the summer months is give you a taste of Alpha. And so the sermons are going to present core pieces, content of Alpha throughout the summer months so that when September comes, you, you can be confident in extending invitations. So we're going to begin here with Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it? For a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man gain in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. This is God's word. Alpha begins with four critical words. It begins with a vital, life-changing question. Who is Jesus Christ? That's a really good place to start. Who is Jesus Christ? This is a key question because if we don't get Jesus, if we don't get his identity straight, we're going to be responding to Jesus in all sorts of ways that are wrong-headed, that are unhelpful. If you think Jesus is just a really good teacher, you're going to respond to him as such. If you think Jesus is a myth, you're going to respond to him in kind and dismiss him. If you think he is who he says he is, you're going to respond in a very different way. So getting this question right is important. Here in the story, in this Gospel of Mark, it is the central question Jesus asks. It actually comes at pretty much the center of the whole book, the whole first half. Jesus is teaching, doing miracles, 
demonstrating who he is, at the center point of the book, there is this question, who do you say I am? And you hear the confession of Peter, you are the Christ. And the whole last half of the book begins to unpack. Let me tell you what that means now. It means I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. This is the type of Messiah and Savior I am. But right at the center, right at the the pivot point of the whole book is this question. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And we find out that there's all sorts of different reactions and responses to Jesus. The disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets. So the responses to Jesus are pretty varied, but mostly of the same category. Jesus, you're some sort of human religious leader, spiritual teacher, or guru. And it's not a whole lot different today in our culture. All sorts of people actually are interested in Jesus, but often it's a Jesus of their own making. People get interested in Jesus, but a Jesus that doesn't always challenge them. A Jesus of their own making, however, can never change you, can never transform you, because then the Jesus you're following is really just another iteration of you. If you want a Jesus who's really going to help you, you need the real Jesus. Which brings us again to the question, who is Jesus then? And how can we answer that question for ourselves? What evidence do we have to give a response? What evidence is there for Christianity? Those who believe in Jesus Christ, who, who place their faith in him, do so because of faith, but they do so informed by a large body of evidence. Christians are are intelligent people who seek big answers to life's ultimate questions. They're not searching for a crutch. They're not willing to believe just anything. Faith is never this blind leap, Uh, but it's always connected to your best thinking. That That surprises a lot of people, but faith is always connected to your best thinking. You don't check your brain at the door of Christianity. Rather, you engage it, and there's good evidence. So what is that evidence? Maybe people wonder, did Jesus even exist? How do we know that? Well, look at the historical evidence. No serious historian would suggest that Jesus was not a historical figure, that he never existed. We know from evidence outside the Bible various historians, Tacitus, Suetonius, the first century Jewish historian Josephus wrote this. He says there was uh, about this time Jesus, a doer of wonderful works, and he goes on to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and then about the reports of Jesus' resurrection. So there's evidence outside the New Testament, but of course evidence within the New Testament. Uh, The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are historic accounts of the life of Jesus. They are written to give us access to the real Jesus. So we know from outside the New Testament, from inside the New Testament that Jesus existed, but the question is, okay, who is this Jesus Christ? He was human. He lived on this earth, but who was he? Was he, as some said, um, a religious teacher? Was he a prophet? Was he more than that? What did Jesus say about himself? Well, maybe we can start then by start where many people think about Jesus himself. He was a great teacher, people often said. The striking thing about Jesus' teaching 
is that it's often centered, it often points to himself. Great religious teachers in other world religions always point away from themselves, point to whatever deity they center their religion on. But Jesus, who personified humility, right? Jesus always points to himself and says, look at me, come to me. So many of us have this profound hunger for meaning and purpose in our life. And in response to that, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You want life? You want fullness of life? Come to me. I am the bread of life. If you want that hunger satisfied, come to me. Many of us struggle with with various problems in our life, perhaps addictions. We find it so difficult to change. We stumble through things and it feels like we're stuck. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So many of us carry around this cloud of worry, the baggage of fear and anxiety and guilt. And it can feel heavy, can't it? In response to people like that, to you and me, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's remarkable. So much of his teaching, he's always saying, look at me. And in other points, he would say, if you welcome me, you welcome God. He says that in John 13, verse 20. He says this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. So in in, in his teachings, Jesus, the great teacher, he's constantly presenting himself as God, as the source of life. Well, then there's the indirect claims of Jesus. And there's many of them. We can't go into a whole lot of detail. But for one example, Jesus would go up to people regularly and say, your sins are forgiven. Now, Of course, if someone offends you, you can forgive them. But it would be a very odd thing for you to go around downtown Toronto saying, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, right? At one point when Jesus did this, the religious leaders asked him, who can forgive sins but God alone? Or then think about the more direct claims of Jesus Look at John 10, 30 to 33. It's a story where Jesus says this. He says, I and the Father are one. And then that riled up all the religious leaders of the day. And so what they did is they picked up stones to stone him, to kill him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to kill me? And they said, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So Jesus very clearly claims this oneness with God throughout his teaching. All his claims, he plainly identifies himself as God. And it's a remarkable claim, isn't it? It's a claim that needs to be carefully considered. It's a claim that needs to be tested. And it seems that there are three possibilities in terms of responding, in terms of considering this. Either his claims are not true. We could come to that conclusion and say, Jesus, you know what, your claims are not true. And that Jesus knew they were not true, which means he's a poser. He's a fraud. He's a deceiver. 
And if that's the case, he could never be some great prophet or spiritual guru or trusted teacher. A second possibility is that all of his claims were not true, but Jesus didn't know it. So he thought he was God, when in fact he was not. In which case, he's insane. Who goes about posing as God, claiming they're God? Again, if that's the case, he could never be a trusted, good, moral teacher or a spiritual leader for your life. And then there's another possibility. That Jesus is, that his claims are true, and he is what he claimed to be. That he is the Son of God. The one sent to save and heal the world. Bono, who you might know, he's the front man for the band U2. Bono was asked about this in an interview. The interviewer, uh, a guy named Mishka Esaias, asked Bono this. Christ has his rank among the world's great thinkers. But son of God, that's a little far-fetched, isn't it? The interviewer asked Bono. And Bono said in response, quote, no, it's not far-fetched. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 please be a prophet, a prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. You know, we had John the Baptist and locusts and wild honey. We can handle that, but don't mention the Messiah word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And Jesus goes, no, 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 actually, I am the Messiah. And at this point, everyone starts looking at their shoes and says, oh, my God, he's going to keep saying this. And then Bono concludes by saying this. He says, so what you're left with is either Christ, who, who said he was the Messiah, and he is that, or you have a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson, says Bono. The idea that the entire course of civilization could have its faith changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, Bono says, that's far-fetched. So there are the claims that we need to consider. But again, what evidence there is there that supports the claim that Jesus is God? That's a good question for us to consider. Look at his teaching. The teaching of Jesus is recognized as the most balanced, the most humane, most life-affirming teaching the world has ever seen. Think of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not something you know you pull out of a hat. Do to others what you would have done to you. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. His teachings, the teachings of Jesus have become the foundation of our civilization of our legal system, our notion of human rights, they are premised on that teaching. His teachings are the greatest words ever spoken. You consider the teachings of Jesus and you think, they're the kind of words that you'd expect God to speak if he came in human form. Look at his teaching. Look at his life. 
His first miracle, it's one of the most beautiful miracles. It says something about him. His first miracle, you know what it was? To extend a party, to make a wedding party go longer. The wine had drawn out, it had been drunk dry. And so what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine so that the party can keep going. This is who Jesus is. He is the Lord of joy. Look at his care for others, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, speaking up for justice. He welcomed the marginalized, all those who were rejected by others. And ultimately, Jesus lays down his life for the sake of others, which Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay their life down for their friends. This is is Jesus. Look at how Jesus fulfilled prophecies. Jesus fulfilled, you know, over 300 Old Testament prophecies, 29 of them in a single day. And maybe you think, well, Jesus probably had a copy of the Old Testament. He could sort of be arranging these things like, okay, I got to fill that one on that day. Let's go. But many of these prophecies were about circumstances that he had no control over, like the nature of his death even about the place he would be born. Look at his selfless death. It was a brutal, humiliating death where Jesus was tortured, publicly crucified, and he did this willingly, knowingly, dying for the sake of others, for you, for me, to heal our lives, to renew a broken world. Look at his resurrection. Christians tell the news that after being crucified, by Romans, by, after being buried, Jesus was raised to new life, resurrected. Jesus conquered death itself. Now, a lot of people have questions about that. A lot of people say, well, just a hallucination on behalf of his disciples, right? But the risen Christ was seen by, by individuals, but then also by, by groups of people, whole groups of people. You don't have group hallucinations. And the, and the individuals who did witness the risen Christ, many of them doubted. They were skeptical about this. They, they didn't believe resurrections happen. And yet they were transformed by seeing the risen Christ. That's another piece of evidence that is so striking. Followers of Jesus who were initially disillusioned and and despairing after his death, but upon seeing the risen Jesus Christ, they were utterly transformed, changed. And they go about telling this good news, boldly proclaiming it wherever they went. And in fact, they were killed for proclaiming that good news. Some of them were brutally tortured. Some of them crucified or beheaded. And yet they, they, they could not help but proclaim this message. I mean, if it wasn't true, don't you think they would have just said, "Mm, you know what, actually I was just joking, just kidding. I'm not dying for a fabrication. I'm not dying, I'm not putting my life on the line for a, a, a myth. But instead they were so compelled, so convicted, they knew this was the truth and it utterly undid their lives. And it started a movement that spread across the globe. And that movement still goes on because the living Jesus still encounters people today. Billions of Christians across the globe, people from every ethnicity, from every continent and culture, people from every nationality and economic, social, and intellectual background in response to the question, who do you say I am? Confess Jesus as Lord, the living Lord. This past week, I heard two more confessions, two more testimonies of people 
who talked about the power of the living Jesus Christ in their lives. I heard it in two different situations from people facing profoundly difficult circumstances. On Thursday, we gathered right here in this room to say goodbye to a baby that we never had the chance to say hello to. It was the funeral of the baby of Tiago Natali. They've been part of our church for about a year and a half, two years, and their baby, little Olivia, died before, weeks before she was to be born. She was 37 weeks old. And she was this beautiful baby. You should have seen her, just fully formed, lovely, which, which makes it such a tragedy. Like, what do you do when you, when you face a crushing circumstance like that? But during that funeral, Tiago and Natali testified of their faith in Jesus Christ. How it was Jesus Christ who gave them the strength. How it was Jesus who helped them find meaning and purpose in this tragedy that seemed to make no sense. That's the living Lord at work. Then a couple days prior to that, Pastor Paul and I visited with a very senior member of our church, Flora McKinley. Flora is very near the end of her life. Today may be her last day on earth. And as we visited her in her home, she was fully aware that her life was ebbing away. She fully aware that she was facing death in the very near future. And yet Flora had this profound peace. There, there was no anxiety about her at all. There was no fear whatsoever. There was what she reported, contentment. There was happiness, she said. Happiness. How about that? You're facing your death, and she says, I'm happy. Because she knows her life is kept in Jesus Christ. She talked about how her faith in Jesus gave her hope beyond this life, and how it gave her the strength to face even her own demise, her own death. What else can do that? No prophet, no spiritual teacher can give that sort of hope in the face of death, that sort of peace in the midst of tragedy. That only comes from something outside this world that gives a greater hope in life. Friends, Jesus really did claim to be a man whose identity was God. His teaching, his life, his character, his fulfillment of prophecy, his death, his resurrection, it all provides this profound body of evidence that says it really is true. Jesus is who he claimed to be. He did rise from the dead. There is hope for your life, for you. In Jesus, we find life and life in all its fullness. But the really important question is the one Jesus asked of his disciples. A question that comes to each and every one of us today. But who do you say I am? And the answer you give to that question is probably the most important you'll ever make in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reality of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your wisdom, as part of your plan, you knew we needed 
We needed a communication, a word from you in a way that we could understand, that we could see and taste and touch, feel, hear. And you gave us Jesus, you, God, your son who came among us as one of us. Jesus, who had a nose, who had an address and a name, who looked like one of us. And so it would be easy for us to dismiss him. And yet in Jesus was the fullness of you. Whenever we doubt, whenever we question, I wonder what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus and we see the perfect image of you, the perfect picture of who you are. God, I pray that today you would freshly convince us of the truth of Jesus, that you would compel us by his claims. Maybe some of us, God, we have never wrestled that question down. Who do you say I am? Maybe we've tried to avoid it. Maybe we've echoed profs who have dismissed the claims of Jesus without ever truly engaging or thinking it through for ourselves. God, we pray that today can be a process by which we begin to engage the evidence, the truth, the accounts of Jesus. For some of us, we have wrestled that through and and we, we have come to the conclusion, Jesus, you are Lord of all and our Savior but we haven't always lived that fully. We haven't lived out of the comfort, the truth, the beauty of it. God, we pray that you would freshly convince us of the the reality, the beauty, the truth of Jesus. Would you compel us to deeper faith, to a more profound love of Christ, and to a deeper walk of discipleship with him? For all of us, God, we recognize that all of this is only a work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give each and every one of us a deep faith in Jesus Christ. Draw us continually to Jesus, our source of life, our hope. In his name we pray. Amen.